I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ. If you've never heard our show before, well, I've got great news for you. It's a really simple idea. All of us have had educators at some point in our life who helped inspire us and helped us become the people we are today. And we want you to be a part of the show with us. So please do email in your nominations, people in your community who deserve a spotlight. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. You can also send in your story ideas there as well. This week on the show, we have Charles Williams. He's the assistant principal at Michelle Clark Magnet High School in Chicago, Illinois. He's been a principal. He's been an author, an education consultant, a classroom teacher. And let me tell you, this guy is no stranger to podcasts. In fact, he hosts three of them. He's the host of Inside the Principal's Office with fellow principal Michael McWilliams. He's got The Counter Narrative, which is about changing how we think about education. And his newest show, appropriate for this time of year, Spooky School Stories. Yes, it is exactly like what it sounds like. People sharing creepy tales from creaky old school libraries and haunted school theaters. It's spooky. It's fun stuff. Check it out. We talk about all of it, including what he means when he says the counter narrative. I started saying I'm tired of sitting in these meetings and these spaces and just hearing people complain all the time. Can we talk about some of the good, right? To to counter that deficit mindset. Uh, You know, my belief is that if you keep telling students, right, this is where you're wrong, this is where you're falling short, this is what you're not doing, then that's who they become. That is who they know and they come to school and like, why, why do I bother? All of that and more coming up. And Charles, I want you to know, I did try to record that with my eyes closed so I could really clear my mind and let it all flow out of me. It's a podcasting tip he gave me during this episode, and I really took it to heart. Okay, before we get into my conversation with Charles, we have a few more education stories that you are not going to want to miss. Since 2020, school districts across the country have been using millions of federal COVID dollars to improve airflow and quality in their classrooms. And I ended up on a middle school roof finding out how districts are bringing air conditioning to students who've never had it before. So these are some of the new stuff from this year? Yes, this is new. And what are they? These are the air conditioning for the commons cafeteria. We hadn't had air conditioning in that area until this past summer. That's Tammy Carson. The first guy you heard besides me is James Orr, and they work maintenance and facilities for the DeKalb School District. And we're on top of Huntley Middle School. And like Tammy mentioned, they just use federal COVID relief funds to install new rooftop HVAC units so that the gymnasium, locker rooms, and cafeteria finally have air conditioning. It could get really humid in the fall and spring without it. And students have been sweating through it since the school went up in the mid-60s. Luckily, all of DeKalb's classrooms have heat and air conditioning. It might not be the most scintillating topic for some, but having air conditioning in classrooms is a huge deal. Studies have repeatedly shown that without AC, when temperatures in the classroom go up, learning and academic performance go way down. Some schools aren't as lucky. Even in 2022, they don't have proper HVAC systems. Mark Ekstrom has seen how boiling hot classrooms hurt learning. He's the director of buildings and grounds in Sycamore and used to be the principal at Southeast Elementary when they didn't have AC. 
sometimes those rooms were 97, 98 degrees as you're coming through because it was whatever temperature outside, you opened up the windows the best you can, and then we're just blowing hot air back and forth. And once we added air to those buildings and see the amount of uh, work that we were getting out of kids in August and September when the temperatures were hot outside but the building was cool, was amazing. Sycamore started upgrading air handlers just before the pandemic. The timing worked out well. They got better airflow with the air handlers and additional air purifiers as students returned in the fall of 2020. They've replaced half of them in the district so far. And this year, they installed AC in a whole wing of Sycamore High School for the first time. That includes 14 classrooms. Ekstrom says the rooms that still don't have it don't have students all day, like the attendance office and home economics lab. Rockford Public Schools has 41 buildings, and of those, only 10 are fully air-conditioned. It's why Chief Operations Officer Michael Phillips says the federal money is a game-changer. Earlier this year, the district launched a $160 million AC and air quality improvement project. Three of our big projects this year were Lincoln Middle School, East High School, and Washington Elementary School, which are all multi-story buildings all had steam radiators for heat and no no other air conditioning. They say they want to use that federal money for AC and cooling infrastructure in every RPS classroom over the next three years. It's a tall order. There are 16 RPS schools where there are 20 or more classrooms that don't have AC. Five schools have 50-plus classrooms without air conditioning. Public records WNIJ received show that at many of those schools, classrooms, including some special ed rooms, go without air conditioning, but the main office, principal's office, and even the principal's bathrooms are equipped with AC units. Those rooms, though, are more likely to be used year-round. But year-round learning happens, too. There are school programs and activities all summer. But without air conditioning at most schools, Phillips says it means the programs get housed in the same few every year. It even makes maintenance more challenging. It's important to be able to take a building offline for a summer. You know, while we try to deep clean, it becomes difficult when you're running several programs throughout the summer. And since schools get to use federal relief from the CARES Act and ESSER funds on HVAC projects, Tammy Carson DeKalb says it means they can use their normal maintenance budget on other issues they might not usually have the time or money for. This past summer, I was able to do several projects of flooring replacements in different buildings and playground replacements where I may not have been able to do those projects this past year. And while new HVAC might not sound as exciting as a new playground, Carson says a classroom of kids feeling fresh, cool air while the sun bears down outside makes a massive impact on how well they learn. Our final story before my conversation with Charles, school during the pandemic has been a unique challenge, especially for students with disabilities that receive accommodations. And I got to talk with folks about how COVID-19 changed education for those kids. Mario McMinn's eyes start to burn by hour five of staring at screens. He's a high school sophomore who has a visual impairment, but isn't blind. But when he and everyone else were forced to learn from home in 2020, it meant his whole day was looking at his iPad and computer. Well, that was a struggle for me because then when school was over and then it's time to like actually do the homework that was assigned, which was also digital, my eyes were kind of fried at that point. His vision teacher got him a tool that helped during remote learning and he still uses today when he's back in person at school. It's a magnifying glass with a backlight around the size of a flashlight. 
In some classes, his vision doesn't affect him at all. But in, say, his computer science class, the magnifying glass is great for limiting strain to his eyes. It was some form of like 3D modeling graphic. Like sometimes the print would be super small. Those kind of things don't really come in like larger print or whatever. So that definitely really helped me. Johnny Guskey was Mario's middle school vision teacher. She teaches kids who are blind or visually impaired from three years old all the way through eighth grade. Technology has been a game changer for her students over the past few years and during the pandemic. When it comes to intuitive accessibility, she says iPads have been a welcome change from clunky, expensive Braille or large print books that took forever to be made. Prior to digital books, our students had to carry around these very large books that had their large print in it and or Braille, which are you can't even carry a Braille book. There's no way to carry a Braille textbook in the entirety. Many of her students use a cane, and teaching mobility skills is crucial. One of her favorite activities was taking her students around downtown Chicago using public transportation. They went to Wrigley Field and tried cool restaurants, and all that was shut down during COVID. And that meant virtual mobility lessons like watching videos of her students practicing with their canes or working on cardinal directions. Okay, where would you cross the street? How would you pick out landmarks in this area? So when you get to that area, oh, you know what, here is the mailbox. I know that that means that the, the house I need to go to is right next door or whatever. Dusky students are back in person now, and she's in constant communication with their parents and teachers. Sometimes a parent will call about broken glasses or a teacher who handed out an assignment without enlarging the font. She came home crying today because she couldn't see her math or then we just do our magic and work with the teachers and make sure that we get everything done. Back in person, they can also focus more on expanded core curriculum to help them with daily living skills like cooking. Matthew Murphy is the assistant principal of student services at Bartlett High School. He says things like cooking and intentional trips out into the community were a huge loss during the pandemic for many students. He says he feels like they did a great job finding creative solutions when moving instruction online in the early days of the pandemic, but there were challenges for students who received services. How do we deliver physical therapy, occupational therapy? How do we deliver those services through an online platform? That is still one that we don't necessarily have a perfect answer. A lot of times in those situations, they had to send materials to parents and try and coach them through it. Tracy King teaches elementary school students who have intellectual disabilities, many of whom are nonverbal and use wheelchairs. So much of her work involves guiding students hand over hand through writing or pressing down stamps. She sends lots of materials home, but so much of her students' school success learning online was dependent on if they had really good one-on-one parental support. I had some parents that had three children, and the child in my room was their oldest, so they'd have to go back and forth between classrooms and kids. They couldn't just sit next to you know, the student hand over hand every minute. Back in person, safety is still King's top priority. One of her former students died of COVID, and some COVID protocols are still in place. It is a major concern for me because a lot of them have pulmonary issues, and you know this can turn into pneumonia. They mask and don't share as many materials. They're also understaffed, so it takes exponentially longer to feed the students, reposition them for a new activity, or change diapers. King and her students have also embraced technology more over the past few years. Like the interactive screens, I put more music in my circle time activities. But really the biggest difference is the time that everything takes to try to keep everyone safe. She hopes they'll have more time for one-on-one activities and fun lessons like cooking. Last year, they got to do a whole unit on cooking, and King says her typically loud classroom went quiet 
They were so focused, engaged, and happy. Mario McMinn says he thinks all students who need accommodations or any kind of support could use some patience and help as school transitions back to quote-unquote normal. All right, now it's time for my conversation with the delightful and insightful Charles Williams. He's got so many titles. Let's see if I can remember. Principal, consultant, equity leader, podcast host of the Counter Narrative inside the principal's office, and now Spooky School Stories, you're an author, assistant principal now, right, yeah. at, at Michelle Clark High School. Go Eagles, by the way, right? Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Am I missing anything, or does that pretty much cover all our bases as of now? Yeah, I mean, work-related. Uh, that that is that is all the things uh, you know. So, you know, dad, all those other all those other lovely things. But yeah, work related. Yeah, that's awesome. And then you're in a new position this year, work related. Yeah, yeah. So I, I made the switch in July. Uh, technically, it was August one, but um, the transition period was about the July timeframe. How how has it been? How have you found the change? Phenomenal. Uh, you know, I was a principal the last, what, eight years? Um, and being a principal, it's a lot, right? I mean, it takes a lot out of you. Uh, my, my, my youngest daughter just turned 19. So I've been a principal since she was 11. And I missed out on... Those are big years, yeah. Yeah, I missed out on so, so much. And I can't get that back. But knowing now, like, I can take that step back. I'm in this role, which allows me to do all my other stuff. But now I can be there for them. Right. So they're they're launching into college and, you know, it's just I can't get back, but I can always move forward. And so, you know, I, I've only been in this role for like a month, but I'm like, I'm kind of liking this. What's the biggest difference? You know, I, I'll be honest, it is a much lower stress level because the responsibilities <laughs> are vastly different. Right. Like, right. Because the buck as a principal, you know, at the, the day, buck stops to you. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, I can move into a weekend and I'm like. I'll get back to it on Monday. Like, yeah, or you you can move into a weekend, which is probably a change sometimes. <laughs> right, right. You know, my my wife's birthday was you know a couple of weeks ago, and it was like we were able to go out for the weekend, like get away from our house, spend the weekend, and it wasn't like she's in the shower. Let me check my emails. Like I was present, and she's like, I love this. I love this. Well, I aspire to checking my email less while I'm cooking dinner too. So hopefully, we're all getting better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, you know I, I was curious for, for folks that are in education, and like you just mentioned that your your youngest daughter is going into college. What, what was her experience like doing the whole college admissions stuff during the pandemic? Yeah, so you know, so I so my two daughters, my so my wife and I, we have five. Okay, she has she has three. I have two. Yeah. Um. So one of my daughters, she actually graduated during the pandemic, which was a whole thing. Yeah, it was a whole thing. Um, yeah. 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 Cause it was like, I'm ready to go to school. I'm ready to go away. And now all of a sudden your life is just like, like change. Cause going away is no longer even an option. Like Purdue, <clears throat> that's where she was going to go. They're like, no, we're doing everything virtually. And so going away wasn't even, you know, a thing for her. Um, I think it helped my youngest daughter kind of seeing that process. So they're just a year apart, but they're two grades because of their birthdays. Um, so she was kind of able to be like, all right, I saw the stuff that my sister went through. Um, you know, so her process was a little smoother. Uh, she's in New York right now at school, but it awesome. was just, I mean, it, it, I think it's an interesting shift the way that we approach things, the way that we view things. Cause this pandemic has just brought, I think it's brought to the forefront, a lot of things that maybe kind of were there, but we kind of ignored 
or if you were able to ignore them, you were able to. And now it's like, we got to consider these. Like my, the daughter who just went off to school, she just had COVID like two weeks ago. Oh, geez. Um, is she, how is she feeling? She, she, she's great now. Um, I, I called her on her first day, like out of corn. She and her friends, they were out getting pizza. You know, and I, I could hear a roommate in the background like, pizza! like, I was like, you guys are fine. You're, you're good. <laughs> um, but it was just, you know, she's away. Right. And so when she now it's like, hey, dad, I'm, I'm going through this thing. But fortunately or, or not, this was her second time catching COVID. She caught it almost right away. Yeah. Um, that when it, when the first big wave came. Right. And uh, this past January. Uh, almost the entire rest of the family had caught it. So my, my oh, wife and my whole entire household. And so it was like, we, I guess we weren't as nervous, right? We were kind of like, right. okay, we, we've been through this process. We know what to expect. We know how to move forward. But it was different with her being 12 hours away. Yeah. And so, you know, it was, that, it was a little nerve wracking. Uh, you know, we're like on standby to like fly out there if we have to make sure she's good. But uh you know, it's just this weird, I think we're in this transition period. You know, it's interesting. I feel like I spent a lot of last year, a lot of like 2021, talking to teachers about COVID. And like one of the main themes that we would keep touching on was like, okay, we've been through this, you know, for a year or for a year and a half or whatever. And so, you know, it, like you mentioned, COVID made us in education, rethink so many things and pay attention to some issues and bring them to the forefront and not be able to ignore them like you might have in the past. And so I kept asking people the question of like, you know, what are the silver linings that we can take from this? Like what things that needed to change changed because of the circumstances we're in? Like, you know, how can we use this to improve education going forward? And I'm curious to talk to people now because it's like, not only do I ask that question, but it's like, okay, well, now we talked about that, like hypothetically, you know, like when we all get back in person, you know, what are we going to make sure that we keep having conversations about or do differently now? And it seems kind of hit or miss when I talk to folks of whether or not they feel like anything really substantively changed at all because of the pandemic, or if we kind of just, you know, hit resume on, on where we thought that we might've been in, you know, uh, February, 2020. Yeah. You you know, it's, it's interesting you say that because I remember I was one of those voices, right? Like when the pandemic, like when we're all sitting at home and we're like, this is it. This is the catalyst we've been waiting for. Like right, yeah. all, the, all those things that we said that need to change, like let, let's get on it. And I was also that voice like, guys, we're, we're slipping. Like we're, we're, we're going back. What, what, what's happening? Where, where are we going? But I think it has caused at least a bigger portion of the population to look at education a little bit differently. It's causing us to think about different, you know, opportunities and options as we're approaching education. I think, yes, a lot of it is very superficial, like, okay, well, now I'm going to make sure that I have, you know, a mass of masks and sanitizers available, <laughs> right. right? Like, yeah, okay, okay, that is a shift. But like, you know, if we're thinking about like pedagogy and like how we're approaching and I, I see some minor shifts and it, it is disappointing. I, I think that is like the standardized assessments, right? I hate high stakes standardized assessments, you know, and we paused it during the pandemic because it's like, well, that's not fair. And what we were really saying is like, we have these entire systems based on it, right? And everything's disrupted. So let's not do it right now. You know, as opposed to saying, hey, you know, maybe this model just isn't really working for everyone across the board instead of just certain populations, you know, and 
yet we're we're kind of just moving right back into that and it's disheartening uh it's disappointing in many areas but you know i, I just hope that that small army that was talking about all this stuff before the pandemic has grown in size and maybe if it's grown in size you know we can gain a little more traction and that inevitability that we had hoped that would come you know maybe inched itself forward a few years you know like that's that's what i'm holding on to right now yeah i think that while some people at the beginning of the pandemic might have hoped that there would be more foundational changes i think that the changes that we did see and i think this is kind of what you were alluding to to a degree is that like you know changes that people were hoping to make going forward like before the pandemic whether it be you know things like standardized testing or otherwise kind of just accelerated things that were already happening maybe moved them forward a couple more years rather than like you know a completely seismic shift yeah i i mean that that is what we had hoped um right. and so instead of a seismic right like yeah it's more like like tremors and we're like <laughs> all right like we'll, we'll make do but hopefully it will come yeah that's so fascinating and you know i i've been thinking about you know I, I spent the last couple of days listening to to all of your different podcasts, and you know, again, we, we mentioned them at the top of the show. But whether it be you know inside the principal's office or the counter narrative, which really quickly, I actually did want to compliment you about the counter narrative, specifically those pause to ponder episodes that you do, because the solo podcast or like the solo radio show is so hard to do. And just to be able to monologue, it would seemingly in like a very conversational, non-scripted way. I was just super impressed by how well you could kind of storytell in that capacity. Thank you. You know, I, I'll be honest. Uh, when I first started those, I scripted the entire thing out. I was going to ask I, you that. I wanted it to be perfect. And I don't know if anything was lost in that process, because I was trying to make sure that it was, you know, almost like a, like a paper, right. That I was turning in. Um, but instead I said, you know what? No, I'm just, I I'm going to hit record and close my eyes. I literally close my eyes when I do them and I just let it pour out. And, you know, I, I hope for the best, but for me, it's more pure. It's more raw. It's like, you are literally getting the thoughts that are flowing through me at that moment. One take? One one take. One take. No kidding. <laughs> yeah, I just, I literally, I click record and I'm like, let's do this thing. Like, and I mean, I always apologize. I'm like, I, I don't know if I'm going into a tangent or if I, you know, but it's just, I, I kind of think about it during the week. Um, You know, right now I'm kind of processing in my mind two different things. And, you know, when I sit down to record, I'm like, this is the one I'm doing. And, and here we go. Yeah, no, I, I was particularly I think it was the last ones of those podcasts that you did that was about I believe it was it was about your grandson starting school for the first time and oh, potentially yeah. being put in IP and throughout that whole time I was like not only is this fascinating and a story that you don't get talked about you know because people especially when it comes with stories about IEP plans or special education any of those things don't get talked about nearly enough but the entire time I was like how many edits are in here? <laughs> Is this all off the dome? But it was on, on top of it just being an issue that I was so happy that you were talking about. I was like, man, how is this? is really impressive. Well, thank you. Thank you. I, I was curious and about uh, kind of your your background as an educator. Obviously, you know, you're an administrator now, an author, but, you know, you were a classroom teacher before you went to administration. I was curious, you know, what did you teach before you were an administrator? Uh, yeah, so when I when I first started teaching, my uh, very first role, my very first teaching role was working with 
uh, the bilingual department, which is now the language development program. Um, and so I worked with uh, EL students. And so, you know, focusing on, uh, you know, having them acquire the English language, master the English language, and then focusing on just Eng English and language arts. And so I did that for a couple of years uh, and it was a fantastic job. I loved that role. Uh, I got really good in my own Spanish. Uh, you know, all the Spanish that I took in middle school and high school and college, you know, all of a sudden I was like, oh, now I actually know it because I'm using it and it's real Spanish, not formal, uh, you know, like what you're learning in a classroom. So it, it was just a phenomenal experience. And, you know, I, the program was a little bit different. Uh, I worked in three, three different schools. There was an elementary school. I worked at a middle school and then I did high school, but at the high school level, I had those students for about two and a half to three hours. And so the amount of time that we had together, we could do so much and we were able to dive in and, and just get so involved. It was, it was phenomenal. I had like a group in the morning and then there was like lunch and then I had a group in the afternoon. And so it was just a great experience. And then from there, I moved into, you know, like a mainstream traditional classroom, yeah. uh, which, which originally, so I, I operated a little bit with a program called read 180, which you, uh -huh. you may. Yeah. So, you know, I, I really got figured that out, kind of adapted it, made it my own, you know, expanded on the program. And so when I was moving to this high school in our district, they were like, that's great. We need somebody for that. Um, and then they were kind of looking at all the test scores and they're like, wait a minute, like he's getting all these kids. It was just phenomenally wonderful. I remember, you know, on one of my first days, uh, you know, one of these young ladies came up to me and said, you know, Mr. Williams, I'm not stupid. And I said, well, you know, I never, I never said you were. She was like, well, I know, you know, I haven't passed this test. It's not because I'm stupid. It's just because I'm always locked up when it comes time to take the test. And I was yeah. like, oh. Like, well, our goal this year is to make sure you're not locked up so you can pass the test, right? Like, so it, it was literally that year where I think my perception of what it means to be an educator started shifting, right? Because I had this group of students who, who had been through school, who had been taught, but there was those elements that were missing and it was viewing them as people, right? As humans and connecting with them on that level, making making the learning interesting. And so, you know, that, that was a great experience. And so I did that for several years. Um, and then, you know, just able to move into like a teacher leadership role. Um, at, at that point they were like, Hey, our, our AP is out sick. Can you step in? And I stepped in and then it was like, no, we want you to be the AP. And, the, and then it just kind of went there. And so I've been you know, in the administrator seat for the last nine or so years. But those those years of edu of teaching, being in the classroom and teaching every single day, it, it was just a phenomenal experience. And so it was all around ELA, you know, every single grade, every single year, it was really focused on ELA. I love that you were talking about, uh, you know, how you were able to hone your own Spanish skills and recapture the things that maybe you lost from the two or three years that you took in, in school. We just, this spring had on a uh, teacher, her name is Kimberly Radisis, who was the, you know, like Illinois teacher of the year for this year. And she's a high school Spanish teacher. And I, I made that same joke to her where I was like, yeah, you know, I took Spanish for like two or three years in high school. And like, I feel like everyone you talk to is like, yeah, I took Spanish for two or three years in high school. And then it kind of, you know, I forgot all of it. And I was like, do you get that a lot? And she's like, oh my God. 
if you ever see a Spanish teacher out in public, please don't tell it to them. We get it way too much. It's so disheartening. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I just think it comes back to using it, right? I mean, right. Yeah, no, for and, sure. And, and, you know, my my wife, she's from, which is kind of interesting, she's from Guadalajara, so she speaks, mm. you know, fluent Spanish. And I remember first meeting her and, you know, her and some of my colleagues, because that's how we met, we worked together. Uh, you know, they were having conversations in Spanish. And so as I was honing up on it with my students, you know, one day I kind of jumped in and they were like, oh, wait, what? Like, yeah, it's <laughs> back. It's back. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, know, you, you mentioned that conversations you started having with your students about testing and, and making that progress throughout the year. And it reminded me of a conversation I just had with another guest on this show who, you know, told me he's like, and we were talking about a very specific pivot point in his career. And he was like, I feel like everyone in education has a point a few years into their career that is like they're teaching midlife crisis where they realize, you know, I think that I'm going to be moving in a different direction. Once they have their feet underneath them, just, you know, baseline level that a couple years in, there's a moment where things shift for you completely. And it seems like that was kind of the start of where that shifted for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was, I, I, you know, I talk a lot about like now and it's easy, right? Looking back, they always say, say hindsight, right? So looking back, it's like, yeah, I I can see this, but I remember being in those spaces and I was like, I think what we have traditionally done, right? What has traditionally worked for students, like that's not going to work here because clearly it hasn't. I mean, these kids have sat in classrooms, they've done these things. And yet here they are with me, like, what can I do differently? And I think it gave me that space to do something differently because clearly what has traditionally worked wasn't working. And so, you know, we, I started exploring, you know, this whole different kind of concept. And like you said, you know, as, as I gained more and more confidence, as I added to my teacher bag, you know, I started blending those, like what have, what has worked in the classroom, what's good teaching practices, but then what is that element, right? Which I was like, oh, you know, there's a name. Now we call it like SEL, but we right. didn't call it that back then. And so, you know, it was b- starting to blend those two, focusing on building relationships and rapport with students and just really providing, I think, my students. So, you know, I, I tell people, like when I was in school, I was, quote, a, a phenomenal student. But really what I was is I fit the mold of traditional education. I was really, really good at fitting that mold. Right. And, and I think a lot of people that, that eventually become teachers probably are, right? Yeah. yeah. Because, I, you know, like you said, like, like we're success, successful <laughs> and then we go and we replicate it and we're like, well, what's wrong? Like, how, is, how come this isn't working? But I remember having peers, uh, you know, my own brother who were not as successful. And it was like, why aren't they? And, and just working with my, I was like, well, wait a minute. He learns differently from me. Mm. Like, you know, and having conversations and doing things like it was just very, very clear. He understood it, but he learned differently. He demonstrated that differently. And so when I was in the classroom, that was my goal. Like if that kid doesn't learn the way I do, if they don't demonstrate it in the way that I do, how can I create that space so they can still demonstrate it? Like, I know it's in there. How do I bring that out? And I remember sitting in interviews and they were, you know, asking me questions like, well, how come your test scores are so great? And I'm like, I, I figure out my kids and they're like, no, no, no. Like, what, what is, like, I don't know what else to tell you. Right. Like, I think at the time I didn't have language, right. That we have now to be able to formulate it, but it was just, 
when you connect, everything changes. Yeah. And so starting from there, what was the spark that led you to co-write your book, which is also called Inside the Principal's Office? Yeah. So, you know, my, it's been a whirlwind. Um, yeah. You know, I, I know you kind of were like referencing this, like you're getting comfortable. So I, I was, you know, in one district for probably about six years. Um, you know, and during those six years, I was in maybe about four different schools, um, you know, just kind of moving, you know, they're like, okay, we want you over here. We want you over here. Um, so there wasn't a whole lot of time to like get comfortable. Uh, I was gaining more and more confidence in my skills, but not a lot of time to be like, all right, I, I'm established. Uh, I moved districts. And then in my very first district, I moved over into Gary, uh, Gary, Indiana. And in the first three years, I was teacher AP principal like that. It, it was <laughs> like, yeah, like I was the teacher leader. I, I stepped in to help out as the AP. Then that summer, I, they were like, no, we want you to stay in the position as the AP. I said, OK, great. Me and the principal had made this kind of like five year plan. Um, I, I, I got I had the opportunity to go to China and to operate with some sister schools. We had a program where students could learn Chinese. And while I was there, my principal resigned. <laughs> so like, that five-year uh, plan became a like four-month plan. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not, I mean, it was more like five weeks at that point. It was oh my, like yeah. this. This is not. This is not what we had anticipated. Like I, I've been with you for a year as an AP. Uh, it's the middle of summer. I'm halfway around the world, and she, I remember having a conversation with her, and she said, "Charles, go for it." And I said, there, "Like Ruby, this is not what we talked about. I'm not ready." You know, she's like, "But like." what's the worst that's going to happen, right? Like you, you don't do it and then you're forever kicking yourself or you go for it and who knows. And so I did. And she, she was like, you, you have the skills, you're, you're more talented than you, you know, like just go for it. And I did. And they were like, yeah, we, we want you to be the principal. Um, and I was terrified. I, I mean, I tried very hard not to show it, but I was terrified and, you know, that's the role that I carried for the next eight years. And oh, so, you know, I, during that time, so, you know, the last, uh, about maybe two years ago now, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to start, you know, doing all these other activities, the podcast and, you know, speaking at conferences and it connected me with individuals. And so one of the people are like, Hey, we have the show we would love you to get on. And so, you know, I'd pop on and you know, I would share my insights and advice. Mac, he was a principal for 20 years. And so, you know, we, we were doing the show. We connected with a guy named Rob, uh, Dr. Thornell. Uh, he's also out of Texas. And he said, I want to write this book. I've been wanting to write a book. I met the two of you. I want to write it with you guys. And it was just literally about leadership. It was a reflection book on leadership. And I think we had the conversation, I want to say we had the conversation in January, February. The book was essentially done by August and released in September. Like we just, we just sat down and we were like, all right, let's, let's turn this thing out. But it was easy because we, we, we just tapped into our own experiences and then said, what can we learn? What can others learn from these experiences? And so, you know, both Rob and Mac had a, a wealth of administrator experience compared to me. Um, but it was just a great opportunity to learn from these two phen phenomenal leaders and to say, Hey, you know, here's my insight. Here's my input as well. Um, 
you know, from my whirlwind journey. What are some of the things that, that you wrote about in the book, some you know, lessons about leadership that are the ones that stick out to you now when you think about that experience of writing that? Yeah. So one of them, um, and I, I don't remember the the week or the name of the chapter, but yeah. Uh, one of them is about modeling the expectations that you have. Like we are not above the rules that we have for our school. And so when you talk about culture and climate, uh, you know, I know a lot of leaders who are kind of like had that mindset, right? Like I'm, I'm the boss do as I say, not as I do. Right. I, I can show up when I want, I can leave when I want. Right? It's just, it's not great. And so I no. remember, you know, I was doing my rounds. I stopped in the cafeteria, grabbed, you know, a coffee and, and a little something to eat. I was on my way to a meeting. You know, one of our rules is there's no eating in the hallway. And I was walking down the hallway, snacking on whatever it was. And I remember a kid. And again, this just goes back to having relationships. The kid was like, oh, Mr. Williams, eating in the hallway. You're not supposed to do that. <laughs> and a teacher started reprimanding, like how did that's your and I thanked the kid. I said, hey, thank, thank you for the reminder. I appreciate it. You know, and I kept it moving, but it was just, it was in that moment, you know, there's this kind of, I think, leadership expectation that we kind of do whatever we want, right? And, and, and people give us passes on it. And I've leaned into this idea of if I'm the leader, then I more than anyone need to be held accountable to make sure that I'm adhering to this, right? Because if I expect you to do it, then I need to be willing to do it myself. Right. This, the school is not a monarchy. You know, how dare you, how dare you berate your king for eating the Snickers in the hallway? <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm thinking about all the things that you were talking about with, um, with leadership. And I know that, I know that equity is, is front and center oh, yeah. with, with what you do and, and front and center with the, the other, one of the podcasts that you host, the other one, that's the counter narrative. Before we, you know, kind of dive deep in, I was curious, can you give people a, a brief explainer on, what is the counter narrative for people that aren't familiar with it? So the show itself was inspired by an article, uh, Dr. Tyrone Howard, which he's out of UCLA. He has a phenomenal book. I'm actually looking at my, my, um, my bookshelf right now, but it's uh, what culture has to do with it. I, I believe that's the name of it, but if you look it up, you'll, you'll, you'll find it easily. But he wrote a great article just kind of looking at uh, the different side and looking at successful students and sharing their story and saying what made them successful. And it was that article I said, can, can I expand on this, essentially? Um, and so I started saying, I, I'm tired of sitting in these meetings and these spaces and just hearing people complain all the time. Let, can, we, can we talk about some of the good, right? To, to counter that deficit mindset. Mm. Uh, you know, my belief is that if you keep telling students, right, this is where you're wrong, this is where you're falling short, this is what you're not doing, then that's who they become. That is who they know. And they come to school and like, why, why do I bother? Right? Because there's all, you're always talking about the achievement gap. That's all you're ever showing. Right. You, you, you never showcase any of the good that I do in class. It's just, right. and so I said, we, we got to do things differently. If, if we want all these changes to happen, we, there, there's so many different fronts. And so I'm going to sh- create a show where we are highlighting those successes. Let, let's, let's push back. And as time went on, the show's a little over two years old, as time went on, not only was it let's highlight successes, but let's just really challenge those, those narratives, right? You're, you're, you're saying, you know, this, you're, you're talking about this issue, but did you consider, you know, this other part of that issue? Did you consider the root of that issue? Did you consider the ramification? You know, that is kind of what I've been doing lately, especially in my pause to ponders, like, 
you know, I, I talked about the Alamo, right. And what I learned down there, I talked about my experience with my grandson and it's just like, let's push back and challenge it. And it's, it's been interesting because I, I, you know, I, I have staff members and friends and colleagues, you know, who are like, Hey, I never knew that. Like, thank you for sharing. And it's kind of like, yeah, that's what this has become. I'm learning, I'm digesting and processing and I'm spitting it out there into the world because if I didn't know, I'm sure there are others who didn't know. Yeah. And, and one of the most recent episodes, you were talking to an administrator, uh, John Whalen, who's, you know, works with restorative practices and oh, yeah. talking about rethinking things. He was talking about how so often, and it's a topic that's come up on this show a lot. A lot of educators talk about restorative practices being, you know, one of those professional development opportunities or one of those trainings that was like, a, again, like a seismic, like fundamental shift of the way that they approach education. But he was, I thought it was fascinating, again, like challenging some of these notions, rethinking some of these notions where he was like so many times in education, schools will take something like restorative practices and be like, okay, this is great. We, we can use this to cut down on our suspensions or cut down on our discipline. He's like, no, no, no. Like this is, this has to be about building community. This has to be proactive and not reactive, which is something that again, fundamentally makes a lot of sense, but is where I was like, again, in that moment, I was like, yeah. So often when I hear people talk about issues like that, it is from a reactive lens. And so, yeah, I, I was curious to ask you, not ask you not just about, you know, restorative justice, but like, again, some of the equity ideas and some of those notions that you've been able to challenge that have really had a big impact on you having uh, through the show? You know, if, if it's restorative practices. So for example, in my new building, uh, that's one of my big roles. You know, I, I remember kind of seeing, you know, the teachers like, no, 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 we believe in it. We believe in it. But you, there's the eye rolls and, you know, you don't understand, you don't get it. Like, but the, you know, I, I kept pushing and saying, hey, try these little things, right? Start small do these little things. And you know, the other day a teacher came up and said, hey, Miss Woman, it, it, it's working. I was like, no, I know it works. <laughs> like, that's why I'm sharing it with you. You know, if we don't really believe it and we're just doing lip service and we're just going through the motions, it's never going to work. And I think that is oftentimes where we have found ourselves. And we just kind of keep doing the same things over and over and over again. Uh, and, and I really want to push back on it, right? And challenge your thinking. And sometimes I say things and I'm like, I don't know if it's true. But these are connections that I see, you know, like in, in the episode where I talked about my grandson, right? The idea that whether or not you're potentially receiving an IEP is relative to the school environment that you're in. Like the yeah. fact that that is the case, like blew my mind. And I said, like, how is this possible? And then, right. And then started making those connections. Well, if, if you consider, you know, urban poverty areas, uh, or and it's not even urban, it could be rural, but high poverty areas where students don't have access to these pre-learning opportunities, right? Now th they're not passing those assessments. But if those students are in a certain area, right, they're being flagged more than their peers for, you know, learning dis disabilities and things like that. And I like to talk about safe spaces to have brave conversations. And I don't mean safe conversations where it's all feel good, but find someone that you can be uncomfortable with that may challenge your thinking, that may push you, you know, to grow into a different area and, and just do the work. The, the last thing that we wanted to touch on really quick is that you have a new podcast that you just started off. That's got, I, I believe there's only one episode out, correct? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a baby. It's a baby. 
spooky school stories. First off, I'm just curious. Do you do you like Halloween? Like particularly, are you, like do you enjoy being scared? Uh, so no, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'll tell you what I do. I don't know. If, are, are are you a horror movie person? You know, I, I watch them. It is not. Yeah. It is not my genre. I, I will say yeah. this. I don't. I don't scare easily. Okay. Um, that's a cool thing my... to be though. You know, it's not cool to be someone that scares easily. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely don't. Uh, but it's also something that I don't seek out. Now, the show was created for my wife. Um, my wife uh, loves all things paranormal and she's an educator. Uh, she teaches middle school and that's actually how we met teaching middle school, which is funny because our former students now see us and they're like, we knew it. <laughs> um <laughs> But, uh, you know, she she listens to these paranormal shows and I thought, like, what if wouldn't it be cool? Like she listens to my show. She listens to these paranormal shows. Wouldn't it be cool if I could kind of blend the two together for her? And that was like the launch of this podcast. And so, you know, she she tells me she listened to the first one. She loves it. Uh, But she said that it was really the opening, the intro. You know, the fact that I did this thing for her that made it all the better. So. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm really hoping to get more. So Pete, like if you have listeners who have these scary stories, tell them to reach out. I know um, I'm looking I'm looking for people to share their stories. I know they do. And that that's adorable that it's like, you know, this is your love one of your a love letter to your wife, but it's also about like people getting the the pants scared off them like in the basement of a high school. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, so in some so just as teasers, like, you know, there's some I've had some like kind of stories submitted. I don't know if people just don't want their voices heard, right. but there there's like a, a creepy one about like uh, this girl who like is a sleepwalking, like possessed uh, that it was creepy. There, there's another one about this guy who kind of has this like entity, but it, the entity just kind of like is chill and just like hangs out. Like, but you know, there, there's some interesting stories that are coming up. So I would, uh, yeah, definitely love to add to them. Yeah, I think we, we can toe the line between like straight up scary and also like kind of just mysterious and paranormal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I have my own, you know, I can't wait to share some of those. You know, I, I figure maybe on a on a slower week or something, you know, I'll drop those. And hopefully, hopefully the wife will hop onto one of these episodes. She definitely does. She's got to. Being, yeah, she's like, I don't want to be on mic. I don't want to be in camera. And I'm like behind, like, you got to at some point. I love that. Yeah, actually, uh both of my my mom and my stepmother are both teachers. And so as I knew that you were going to be on the show today, I made sure to call both of them and be like, do you have any really spooky things that have happened to you over the years? And and my mom, thankfully, I guess for her, did not. She's not someone that likes to be scared. So I'm glad that that hasn't happened to her. But uh, my stepmom was like, well, you know, one of my classrooms at, at one of my schools early on, we were in the basement and then we were... Uh, my they had a basement of the basement there was like a library underneath my classroom that was really really freaky but thankfully no ghosts tried to kill me as I was leaving in the middle of the night or something but I was glad that they had uh, at least not something too scary but you know definitely I think everyone has some of mysterious story if they've worked with the school or it, just anyone that's that's been in education has at least one story that is kind of unexplainable. Yeah, I think it just comes with the territory, right? A lot of these shows sure. are old, old buildings. You know, they've, they've been around. A lot of people have been in those spaces, right? So it's always the theater, know, too. Exa- yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I, I'm not asking like, hey, did you see, you know, like this, go- this isn't Ghostbusters. Like, right. 
you know, but like, was there something creepy that you heard or you felt or, you know, it's like, you know, and it, it doesn't even have to be ghost, right? It's just anything kind of spooky paranormally. Like she's also into aliens. I'm sure that at some point, like, you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah, if there's an, a- an alien story, I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear that. Like doing some, uh, you know, biology dissection of the aliens in eighth grade or something. <laughs> yeah. Like I, 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 I was very strange, you know, I, this creature that my teacher had us, I don't know, something, I you s- know. I, I, I very much enjoyed the first episode of the show. And I'm not someone that particularly likes to be like, I've definitely gotten better with like watching horror movies and stuff than I was as a kid. As a kid, you know, I used to have to use the strategy of after I watched a terrifying movie to like go on the IMDb page for the movie and just look up the whole cast and be like, it's a movie. It's okay. These are just <laughs> actors people. that worked on this. These are people. But uh, the, the podcast was fantastic. Didn't have to take, didn't have to look up the executive producer credits to bring myself <laughs> down. It was a good time. <laughs> Wonderful. Thanks for listening to Teacher's Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on our show. That's how we get great guests like Charles. Send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. Wherever you're here in the show, please do subscribe, leave us a rating, share it. If you like what we do, it's the best way to help us so we can get even better and get more perspectives on the show. Please subscribe to the Teacher's Lounge newsletter to keep up to date with everything having to do with the show. You can find a link to do that on this episode's webpage over at wnij.org. A big hearty thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ofs that you hear in every single episode of Teacher's Lounge. A big thank you to Spencer Tritt for our logo. I've been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.